The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Kia ora koutou katoa. Welcome to Business is Boring. To make big changes in the world, better systems need to be adopted at scale. And today's guest is using great business and product to change up a number of massive industries globally. Justin Kamine is a Planet Ford entrepreneur who's been at the forefront of sustainable technologies for a decade, innovating in low-carbon impact chicken, seaweed-based plastic alternatives that are better for the planet, clean energy, and other fields, including the future of health. His Do Good Foods was ranked by Fast Company among the top 50 most innovative companies in the world. He was also named one of Forbes 30 Under 30 for food and ranked as one of the 50 most impactful entrepreneurs in the US. It's a great pleasure to have the chance to chat with Justin as part of the Spark Lab Future State series. Thank you for being with us today. Tanakwe. Thank you for having me. Excited about the conversation. Hey, so tell us a little bit about the K-Mine family business. As your family has been part of like really big infrastructure, uh, amongst other things, right, across the U.S. Yeah, so part of the way that we now are operating at and truly bringing sustainability to scale is predicated upon the background of the family. Uh, and, and a lot of that goes to my, my father and my mother, uh, my father grew up literally at age 13 installing wastewater heat recovery systems and boiler rooms at paper mills and greenhouses. At, eight, at age 18, he was a field foreman working for the union in the contracting business. Um, and in the mid-20s, uh, the independent power laws in the United States uh, were enacted, meaning that a developer could actually build, own, and operate a power uh, project for themselves, not just the utility company. And so he went around to all of the uh, paper mills and greenhouses that he installed the boilers at and said, uh, why don't we co-locate a natural gas production facility on site and provide them, the chief steam, the byproduct of Cogen, uh, to make their operations more sustainable and create a closed loop system. And uh, long story short, uh, he was able to finance uh, and get GE and Deutsche Bank and Siemens to be his partner and ended up building about $800 million worth of projects, about 600 megawatts worth worth of natural gas production facilities in the United States and helped drive the parts per million from an emissions perspective way down, down to about uh, it went from about 40 down to about 19. I think it's currently at 10. So that was in the mid 80s. Amazingly environmentally progressive, but at an early age, recognized it's about walking through the back door of the production facility as well as the front door because the people in the boiler rooms and ended up making his career, not just from an early age and kind of teaching him, but then they were the ones that pretty much 
uh, sign the contracts for those cogen facilities to actually be on site. So that was a uh, early lesson about kind of treating everyone with respect and everyone a part of the company is a critical role. And uh, obviously coming from a plumber's background, uh, you really recognize that and appreciate that. And most importantly, also, it was an engineering focused company. It was not just a finance company trying to solve a problem. It was a, how do we create an engineer and build this project? And then how do we finance it? And so that led right into, uh, we sold those projects in 1994. In 1995, President Clinton deregulated the telecom industry, similar to the deregulation of the energy market. And GE, that was our partner in Cogen, came back to us as well as Princeton University in Lucent and essentially asked uh, our team to be the entrepreneur infrastructure developers to help build a telecom company for them to compete and uh, build out a nationwide network and compete with AT&T and Bell. Long story short, uh, we ended up deploying about $2.5 billion across 40 cities, and we ended up carrying one-third of the nation's dial-up. When you had to listen to that dant, 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 log on to the internet, that was all coming through us, uh, then to AOL and MSN. And so once again, it was a relationship with GE, it was a relationship with some other companies that helped uh, spur this kind of development. And then it was the engineering and infrastructure talents. The quickest city that was ever built prior to us took about three years to build. We figured out a way to standardize infrastructure, duplicate it, and rapidly, rapidly deploy it, where we ended up building 40 cities in two years so that's how we kind of really created this kind of system that we collectively have internally that is able to take an idea, take an infrastructure solution and scale it rapidly. So that then led to uh, my brother and I graduated college. And uh, then about 15 years ago, we came up with the thesis that the world screwed up. How do we save it and how do we build large scale infrastructure to solve some of society's biggest problems? Yeah. And that's so cool to bring together sustainability thinking with systems thinking and be able to do it at scale. Because I guess there's like a really common story of, you know, the small player who sees a better way to do things and kind of, you know, works away making a little example. But the real change in the world is made when you can bring over an enormous system to a better way. Uh, and create kind of that impact at scale. So so bringing those ideas together, where did you decide to focus and what kind of things did you bring that mindset to? Yeah, so the first company that my brother, my dad, and I all kind of helped co-found together and build together uh, with, of course, some other uh, amazing talents was KDC Solar. Uh, so in 2008, 2009, solar energy was just getting started it was kind of the new and upcoming technology, not massively deployed, not massively recognized. Um, and we were one of the first companies that signed a major agreement right after Obama's signature in the United States to kind of uh, spur the solar economy. And we ended up engineering, building, owning, and operating about 125 megawatts, about $500 million of solar projects uh, in what's called net meter. So providing cheap electricity to companies like Pfizer, Eli Lilly, Amazon. We made Six Flags the first amusement park in the world to be 100% powered by solar. So once again, taking that infrastructure approach, 
working with some of the largest corporations in the world and saying, how do we provide this sustainable solution to you? It has to be economically viable. So we were saving them a lot of money from their current electricity cost and utilize the government incentives that were around at that time to not only spur some business, some job development, but then also to provide cheaper electricity to the employers around New York and New Jersey to actually keep those jobs in the United States as well. So really kind of using the government incentives to actually drive and fuel long-term business development and growth. Um, And so with that, we then started to look at a whole lot of things like battery storage and battery technology. This was in 2014 and 15 and 16 saying, okay, great. Solar is great. It's getting down the cost curve. It's getting massively adopted, but how do you now standardize it to a base load power? We were looking and working down in Jamaica uh, with a solar co-generation model to preheat the boiler feed water from some of the largest companies down there to help further reduce the import of diesel. So we were looking at a lot of these sustainable technologies and trying to help them all get to a scaled level where then everyone was adopting it. And that's the benefit and that's the beauty, that's the excitement of what we do as entrepreneurs, especially in the sustainability space. We understand Climate change is real. Resources are going down. Population's going up. And there's a tremendous inefficiency in the middle. And by working with some of the biggest companies, you recognize how big these supply chains are. We're not all going to change overnight. We're not all going to not do one thing or turn off oil and gas. You got to have environmental realism. The recognition of how the economy works at the size and the scale that it currently works And then how to provide companies solutions that fit into their existing supply chain, not asking them to change habits and not asking their consumers to change habits and actually bring sustainability to scale. And so when we uh, left solar, we really focused on how do we upcycle things away from landfills? That started off with cardboard, concrete, And of course, food waste would do good foods where we pioneered one of the first large scale solutions to upcycling surplus grocery food. And what happened was when we can upcycle the surplus grocery food, we can create a nutriently consistent dried animal feed. You and I, when we used to grow up on a farm, we used to take our leftovers and feed it to our chickens and pigs and pets out back. That's not rocket science. This is just the way nature intended to operate. We are now taking that solution and bringing it to a large-scale infrastructure solution that can now work with the largest retailers, collecting all their surplus grocery food. And then when we convert it into the dried feed, we can now send that feed into the existing feed mill infrastructure of every major farmer across the country, asking them once again to do nothing different. It comes in just like a standard soy and corn ingredient. You use the feed at a certain inclusion ratio, and then we linked it to a consumer brand called Do Good Chicken, which was the first ever USDA-approved, third-party verified, scope three carbon-reduced chicken. What does that mean? It's priced the same, it tastes the same, and this one now saves the planet, and that one doesn't. Why wouldn't you now do good for the, the, the world by choosing this brand? And each Do Good Chicken saved three pounds of greenhouse gases and four pounds of surplus grocery food finally making climate change tangible, affordable, and accessible to us all. Don't do anything different, but if you're going to eat chicken, eat this chicken. It's so cool to look at something like 
food waste that's currently just sent to landfill or used in really low value ways and go, there's a resource that we can get so much more from. And having a brand out the other end of it, like that kind of integrated or vertical thinking all the way through, how did you go about identifying that issue as something to work on? And what kind of a like process goes around in terms of like pulling together a team to do all the bits, you know, because you've got, you create a new system, you have to do the procurement, the actual production, the, um, you know, distribution to, 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 to all of the farmers, and also create a brand and channel to market under a new idea. So that's a big old thing to chew off all at once, right? It, it was four businesses all at once that had to coincide exactly and perfectly at the same time. And none of them have ever been done before. So it was a, uh, a monumental task. We have an amazing team. Um, but, when, but what happened was we actually went around to the industry, all of your, your standard poultry producers across the world, and said, why don't you just buy the feed from us? You can tell this whole sustainability story. And what was fascinating, which was kind of part of my redefining as an entrepreneur, was that each one of them told us, this is the right solution. You are the right team. This is at scale. There is nothing wrong with this whole process. But go prove to me that consumers care. And go prove to me that you will have some good store velocity and that you will be on shelf. And so after hearing that from a lot of big companies, we said, you know what, screw it. We got to go off and just do this collectively ourselves and figure out how do you tell a story on shelf to the consumer in the poultry aisle. And within the first year, we were scaling with the largest retailers, the largest food service companies. We were out competing the established poultry companies and really resonating well with the consumer. Why? Because 90% of consumers are now raising their hands saying, what can I do to help? I see climate change all around me. I see my, and I hear my kids yelling at me saying, give me a planet that I can actually survive on in the next 20 or 30 years. But inherently, don't change my habits and don't make me pay a lot more. Well, great. We could solve food waste in the United States if one out of every five pieces of chicken was a do-good chicken. We'd solve it. Game over. Let's go. What's the next problem? So using the size and the scale of the supply chain to actually use our food system to solve our environmental problems is absolutely key and critical. We are not going to reduce our way out of this. We are not going to create a new plant-based protein or plant-based food that's going to save the world and everyone's going to just put down their forks and knives and never eat what they are used to eating already. We need to understand the reality of the food system, the reality of the consumer, and we need to provide them products that are a net positive, not a net negative, and to finally use consumerism. The only reason we're in this climate change problem is because we keep consuming too much to actually now be a positive for the planet. In terms of another one of your ventures, which takes a uh, similar but different approach, which is lollyware, tell me about that as um, the, the seaweed that you use as kind of your key ingredient to make plastic alternatives. That just sounds fascinating. So seaweed is an amazing uh, product. Uh, if you know anything about it, you literally just toss out a line of seaweed into the ocean. 
it requires zero inputs, no pesticides, no herbicides, no fertilizer, no water, no anything. Of course, it's in water. Um, but all it does is absorb the CO2 and through photosynthesis, sequesters CO2, nitri- or, uh, phosphorus, and uh, some other pro- or, uh, harmful things in the ocean and literally improves the ecosystem around the, the, from a biodiversity perspective. So seaweed is an incredible carbon sink. The more seaweed we can grow, the more CO2 we can sequester. So that was the, the initial starting point. It's a great crop. Let's grow more of it. Now, what can we utilize it for? Seaweeds, of course, utilize across the world in cosmetics and many other industries. But what we set out to do was to use seaweed and figure out a way to actually pelletize it into what looks and feels exactly like a plastic pellet. It took us four or five years to figure that out because when we now have, and what we now have is a seaweed pellet or seaweed resin that can replace plastic resins. What are plastic resins used in? It is used in every extrusion and injection molding equipment across the world for single-use plastics. Now we have a one-to-one replacement. Instead of taking the plastic resins, simply buy the seaweed resins, and you can create all of the standard products that you know and that you love, your straws, your utensils, and we're expanding quite rapidly with the product portfolio that we can create. Now you go back to the consumer. They walk into Starbucks and they eat, they use a straw. Hopefully that straw is now Lollywood straw. The more straws that they now use, they're hyper composable. They biodegrade in 60 days. The more straws that we now use, the more seaweed we grow, the more CO2 we sequester. We're now using consumerism as a flywheel for a net positive in the world, not a net negative. But seaweed has an amazing capability to truly revolutionize the world We need to grow more of it. We need to expand the economy even greater. It's about a $10 billion economy right now. It needs to grow 10x, uh, in my opinion, as quick and as big, as broad as possible. And what Lollyware can do is literally revolutionize where every single-use plastic is now seaweed-based and the consumer doesn't know. That's the holy grail of truly bringing sustainability to scale through the established supply chain and the established operators and manufacturers of the largest companies across the world. Because yeah. if you take a step back and look at the way that us funny animals are using plastic, like it's a brilliant material that's infinitely recyclable and is so energy dense and you can do so much useful stuff with it. And then we turn it into single-use things that then sit in the landfill by, you know, degrading into microplastics. And, you, you, you know, none of that energy and none of the um, value is kept in the system. And so it's kind of bonkers that we would take this wonderful resource and use it to poison the earth <laughs> when there are things uh, that, that you can make that naturally biodegrade and go back into the system. But kind of having that awareness, like you, you mentioned it took you five years to palletize it. How, how big a journey, like did, was, it, was it obvious it would be possible? Was this something where, you know, you had to kind of um, prove out the science? But what's that journey like and how much belief and how much investment does it take to, to make a new material like that? 
So my core philosophy is that nature has all the solutions. It is up to the entrepreneurs and, and the inventors to figure out how do you leverage what nature is already showing you into the right business outcome in a circular economy way. And then how do you get that to scale? And the second part is almost more difficult than the first part. And the first part is very difficult. So it's a, most of my companies are a five or six year overnight success. When you figure that out and right. So while we started off six, seven years ago and the first prototypes, the first products you would laugh at, you would have no idea that, Hey, this could actually revolutionize the world in the next seven or 10, 10 years. Um, but it is about that perseverance, that determination and that recognition of we absolutely need to have this happen. There's not many others working on it. And I'd rather kind of, okay, go, go down with the legacy of someone that has always shot for the moon in a way that can help better the planet as big and as broad as possible than settle for something else. And I truly believe in the question of why we have a lot of arbitrary systems in society. Why do we do it? Every one of my companies starts off with why do we waste 40% of the food that we grow? Why do we only use single use plastics? When we talk about food as medicine, why are we only a synthetic chemical based healthcare, quite frankly, sick care system? Why do we do this? Who's telling us this is the right way to do it? Let's revert back to nature and actually think about they, it's been a long, it's been around much longer than we have, and it's pretty damn amazing. Let's figure out the right way and why it's doing it, uh, and then leverage that skill set into real companies that have real solutions. Um, and part of my difficulty as an entrepreneur is that you are always battling the incumbent. The question of why means that there is an incumbent system that's already established massively uh, at economies of scale. So price points are way, way, way lower and people are just used to it. So you're battling the incumbents plus the price points, plus you need to figure out the right development capabilities and expertise to go on a five-year journey to figure out how do you get something to scale? And then once you're there, how do you get the consumer and the corporation adoption of what you're providing? Yeah, love him. We'll be back in a moment with Justin to talk fighting scale with scale and the future of healthcare. Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix Podcast, brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today. Hoki mai anō. Welcome back to Business is Boring, where we're speaking to Justin Kamein. 
Hey, so you mentioned just before about the future of healthcare. Tell us about the work that you're doing with MEND. Yeah, so MEND's on an amazing trajectory right now. Uh, it's MEND.me, M-E-N-D.me. Um, about four or five years ago, I was dealing with chronic neck and back pain. And I also read the stat that in the United States, 86% of our healthcare costs are spent on chronic conditions. 3% are spent on prevention. Sounds like a completely illogical equation to me. And so with that, I cold called one of the top pharmaceutical executives and asked her one single question, which was how come no one has ever taken a pharmaceutical scientific approach to clinically study plant-based products, run double-blind placebos on the final formulation, just like big pharma, but focus it on to fully plant-based products for specific indications, no different than pharma, for heart health and muscle atrophy and joint regeneration. At that time, when I cold called her, she said it was impossible. You can't do that. I said, I can't take the best of science and pair it with the best of nature. Why not? right? It goes back to that question of why not? That should be logical. And that's quite frankly, the way we should be doing things. And uh, four years later, we have an entire product portfolio for orthopedics all the way through chronic conditions. That's now been approved on formulary at some of the world's leading hospitals. It's being used by 40 plus professional sports teams, the active U.S. military, uh, a lot of the major physical therapist clinics, and it is now being reimbursed by many of the major insurance companies in the United States, truly bringing a scientific, clinically backed evidence, evidential approach to plant-based products for specific indications. Um, and the results have been absolutely incredible. Uh, the daily inflammation product is being used by pretty much every major top athlete in the, in the United States. Um, it helped heal my daily inflammation, but it makes sense. It's fully organic, clinically studied, and we measured even down to the, the blood sample level of how these products get into your blood. An Advil or synthetic chemical is just masking the pain symptom, doing nothing for your body's true inflammation, and it's just... Um, uh, uh, hurting with all the warning labels that those products have, quite frankly, hurting your body over time if you use it on a daily consum consumption habit. Our products are fully organic. You, you can take two, four of them a day and you see the benefits over time and you actually feel the benefits of them over time and reduction of inflammation. And each product has stories that have been heartwarming and amazing from all of our clients and all of our patients that have shown that they can actually start to heal. It makes sense when you're going through orthopedic surgery, you can't eat enough high dense amino acids. You can't take a synthetic chemical and just think that you're going to magically recover. Your body needs extra nutrients during that healing process. You need to have that maximized and optimized specifically for you, specifically for your surgery. And the fact that we as a society failed to recognize that, the fact that we as a society, at least in the United States, our doctors and our medical professionals do not get trained on nutrition 
is a tragedy and something that we can collectively solve and we need to solve for the betterment of everyone with chronic conditions and for the betterment of everyone going through the healthcare system. Well, so in in the example of that, um, you know, recovering from surgery and giving your body more of the nutrients or building blocks or materials that help it kind of knit itself back together, what are the what are the active uh, you know ingredients that you're adding, and what kind of products and and what kind of um, what kind of science do you build around them? Like, how do you test and prove it out? Yeah. So it's a great question. So, um, I mean, each product is slightly different. So we do have a high amino acid based uh, dosage for, uh, for example, for joint replacement. So that product has been clinically studied, peer reviewed, published in the scientific journals. We've even taken muscle tissue samples from when people actually go through surgery and take our product on a recovery perspective. And they can actually see the reduction of muscle atrophy and all of those types of kind of indications that you can just measure. We just go down to straight up, you got to be able to measure it and see it and feel it. Our heart health product is a bilberry, which is a, 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 an extract uh, naturally occurring. And w- the collective teams have run 26 double blind placebos on the final formulation. Heart health is measurable. HDLs, LDLs, triglycerides. What are your numbers? Well, if your numbers are going down quicker with this product than that product, and this product's fully plant-based with no warning labels, and this product has a bunch of synthetic chemicals and a long list of warning labels, and oh, by the way, our numbers are going down better, what product would you take? And it goes no different than do good, right? You make all else equal, and now why wouldn't you do good for the planet for do good, or why wouldn't you do good for your own personal health with men? And that's this big aha moment where it's, and why when I said we got onto formulary at some of these leading hospitals, that's what's so powerful. Formulary is a scientific review of all of the doctors or many of the doctors at a specific hospital. They have to read the scientific evidence. They have to go through it all. You essentially get up there and present, and then they approve it so that it becomes a part of the hospital's uh, kind of arsenal to help that patient. That is a big outcome and a big solution that they've all been looking for and desiring, um, and yet no one really providing in the right clinical evidence perspective. It's amazing that you are getting into those institutional uh, you know, like um, the, the bigger a system is, right, the harder it is to turn it around. And the medical system is one of the hardest as there are so many uh, gatekeepers and uh, regulatory bodies and processes that you have to prove an alternative in. What kind of work do you do to, you know, like how do you approach that? How do you approach turning around big systems? Uh, you just start going... And, and you start figuring it out. There is not, uh, paralysis by analysis is the worst thing that an entrepreneur can do. And I think so many of us do it or in the sustainability space, for one, everyone tries to make everything absolutely perfect. You're fixing a broken system. Nothing is perfect. And you just got to get out there and start to show it and prove it and be there. And yes, many of these customers take three, four, five years to figure out what is it that really makes them 
excited? And how do you really transition over their infrastructure to then either carry or distribute your product nationally? Um, I think each one of these companies started off with a the same mission. How do we solve food waste? How do we change healthcare? How do we create uh, a seaweed-based bioplastic? The way we got here and now the partnerships that we have, you can never uh, write a strategy or business plan. I have not written one business plan in my entire life. Um, and we've had seven, eight different companies across seven or eight different industries. So the plan is fix the system, solve the problem, right? Surround, surround yourself with people that are way smarter than you. And I say that, and, and everyone says that. Go out and find on LinkedIn, cold call people that have been in the industry for 20, 30, 40 years. Find the people that are retired. They're much more willing to talk. Find a couple people within the industry. They're probably less willing to talk about, well, if you could reinvent this whole system, what would you do differently? It's so fascinating that so much of the, the baby boomer generation is now recognizing their faults within their lifetime of how much uh, consumption that they helped spur and how much kind of the destruction of the environment that they've created that now they're looking at saying, where's their redemption tour and what's their redemption strategy? And so many of them have provided uh, advice to me that has been uh, life-changing from the business perspective. And there, many people are willing to jump in and say, you know what, I worked in this industry for 30 years. I hope that the next five years of my kind of consulting or working life, I can try to help fix the industry that I knew was so broken inside, but I just kept going on the hamster wheel. And that evidence, that insight, uh, and that connectivity is what helps mold a, a young startup company into a form and a functionality that actually can change the industry. We are so naive to think that from the outside in, we can, without any knowledge, think that we know the intricacies of these industries because many of them are so massive and many of them are so relationship-based. One thing that would be really cool just to cover as well would be Blue Planet as that's another big system to turn around. What's happening there? Yeah, Blue Planet is uh, very fascinating. So uh, if you know anything about concrete, uh, we will be uh, consuming more concrete uh, than any other material outside of water in the next 20 or 30 years. We will be building essentially the equivalent of all of Manhattan uh, every couple weeks across the world. Think about the amount of concrete that is necessary and needed. That is also responsible for about 10% of the global greenhouse gas emissions globally. And so we need to create a solution and creating a circular concrete production facility was never kind of dreamed about kind of like a holy grail. And Blue Planet is showcasing that we can potentially collectively do that while sequestering CO2 from uh, emission sources. So what they're able to do is they take the aggregate concrete material that would have otherwise gone to landfill, which would have been a complete waste of all that energy and resources that went into doing building that road or building that building when it now gets jackhammered and thrown away, just goes to landfill where it just sits for decades. Now all of a sudden we can take that aggregate concrete material and through a chemical mineralization process, 
no different than like how a shrimp shell is created. Once again, back to nature. You take the CO2 from a power plant, you take in a little ammonium, and the calcium binds with the ammonium, binds with the CO2, and all of a sudden you create synthetic limestone, sequestering the CO2, and that aggregate concrete material actually breaks back up to its original form of sand and gravel. So that you can actually go to the quarry guys and say, guys, stop digging. We can create a circular economy here. And it's revolutionary. We're still scaling it up. We're still proving it out. Um, but as that continues, once again, that, that can change the industry, many industries all at once in a great, positive, environmentally progressive solution that's not requiring many other inputs. Um, it's kind of just reverting back to nature to the way it intended to operate, but just in a major industrial way and uh, creating a, a, a carbon-reduced concrete economy is absolutely critical for us as a society. And with all of these problems and systems and areas that you work in, right, like by solving the problem, they are very big industries. They're very big businesses. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of money to be made and a lot of, you know, impact to be made at the same time if you get it right, right? Of course. Um, the only way to have, and I look at sustainability as two, twofold. One, yes, for the environment. Two, your business has to be sustainable. Uh, and that means profitable. So uh, in order to kind of have the greatest impact in the world, you got to have the greatest economics. And the only way to actually solve these world problems is to be working with the biggest companies and say, I will make you more money or I will reduce your cost. That's it. No one's inherently doing this out of the good nature of their heart. I think I naively thought that perhaps people would maybe 10, 12 years ago when I was first getting into this industry. And I've been at the board level in the C-suite of every one of these kind of major global companies sitting with their executive team. And it all comes down to profitability. At the end of the day, that's how we got here from a business perspective. We can have all the chief sustainability officers that we want in the world. It comes down to what is the CFO stating and saying and how much money is this going to create for us, for our shareholders. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> to use the system to change it is fantastic. And as a final thought, Justin, what will success be for you personally? I don't necessarily think about success personally. Um, yes, of course, I, I want to build the right companies. I, I, I love having more and more employees because I think one of the biggest problems in society right now is giving the mass uh, employee base a mission and a purpose-driven company. And I think that's really exciting. You get great talent, better talent than I could ever expect um, coming in and joining in and figuring out how you build a company, how you build it and change an industry forever. And I ask every one of our employees, or, or quite frankly, I, we just call them family members. Um, I ask them, every, every one of them, the same question. What is your dash? It was the most important and impactful question that was ever asked to me when I was on a panel one time, which the gentleman speaking stood up, grabbed the mic, looked around at the room, pointed at everyone, including myself, and said, everyone has a dash. Everyone is defined by their dash. Justin, what's your dash? And I said, sir, with all due respect, I don't know what you're talking about. He came up on stage, put his arm around me, and it was the most impactful thing that I will ever kind of hear, which was, when you die, 
you get your gravestone. You get the name that you're given, the day that you're born, dash, the day that you're dead. Your dash is your legacy, your contribution to society, how many people will be at your funeral, and what the world would really remember you for. And if you wake up and you live every day for your dash, and your dash may be different, might be for your family, your community, for the environment, for all of the above. But if you live every day like that and focus on why you're doing what you're doing, you end up creating some pretty cool things with pretty cool people. Yeah. Oh, that's magic. Well, thank you so much for sharing of your story and your time today. It's been a real pleasure to chat. That's Justin Kmine. Kelda, thank you. Thank you. So thank you to Justin, to you for listening and for everyone who helps make this happen, like our producer, Samuel Robinson. Do follow Businesses Boring wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to rate and leave a review if you like what we do. E From the Spinoff Podcast Network, that was Businesses Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Businesses Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.